0: And it's who you want to be. Like when everything's going wrong, when you're up against the ropes, like what's the decision that you make that defines who you're going to be?
1: Welcome to the adventure podcast and this episode with Lee Timmis. Lee is an endurance cyclist and adventurer who has led an extraordinary life. In 2010, he set off on his bike with the idea of cycling around the world. 44,000 miles and 51 countries later, he arrived back home. A few years later, he underwent another challenge and he now holds the record for the fastest cycle crossing of Europe. In this episode, we go into a lot of detail on a variety of topics from Lee's upbringing in early life, through to his professional career and struggles with his mental health that led him to pack it all up and cycle around the world. But the thing I wanted to understand was, what was he running away from, and whether or not he was actually carrying his problems around the world with him? We continue on the theme of Lee's struggles with his mental health, and go on to talk about his European cycle record attempt, his motivations, and ultimately what happened on that journey. Before we begin, I'd like to mention that we're on Patreon. So if you're a regular listener to the podcast and would like to access extra content, including envision interviews and monthly sit-downs with me and a guest, then you can find us on Patreon at The Adventure Podcast. I'd also like to talk to you about Sidetrack magazine, our sister publication. Sidetrack is an incredible quarterly journal that celebrates authentic stories of adventure and exploration. You can find out more at sidetrack.com. I'd also like to take a quick moment to push you in the direction of our charitable partner, the Martin Moran Foundation. They're a wonderful organisation working to get young people from disadvantaged backgrounds into the outdoors. You can find information about how you can support them on our Instagram bio at The Adventure Podcast. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, then please do subscribe on iTunes and leave us an honest review. They're a big help and it really does help us bring the podcast to a wider audience. Okay, over to Lee Timmis. Thanks very much for doing this. Uh, it would be great if you could, um, as you're probably expecting, just introduce yourself, tell me who you are and what you do, whatever that means to you. Yeah, thanks for
0: having me on it. It's a real pleasure. Just that initial conversation we've had for the last five minutes, it's going to be an interesting one. Um, but yeah, so to introduce myself, I'm Lee, Lee Timmis. I, I cycled around the world for seven years and came back from that, um, broke a world record, the world record for the fastest cycle across Europe, and then also hold the world record for the greatest distance cycled in seven years. Um, I think, (laughs) oh, I might have made a mistake there, seven years, (laughs) seven days, there we go. I was gonna say that I mean that must be a really long way. <laughs> oh man. Um yeah, imagine that. I can't I don't know what I would have done there. So yeah, cycle around the world for seven years, fastest cycle across Europe, and greatest distance in seven days. Ace. So there's
1: obviously a few ways we can go with this, but I think I'm really interested and you know, take as much time as you would like to to tell me about this how do you go from being born wherever you were born to deciding to cycle around the world?
0: Yeah. um, I think think a lot of people might look at like those amazing adventurous sort of achievements or people go off and do these things. They must think it's kind of born into them. I think that was certainly where I was before I went off and did it. Um, Mine actually came out of Rather than like a place of strength, it came out of the most difficult time in my life. Um, I was, I was in a time in my life when I was trying. I was pursuing these expectations that I thought the rest of society had on me. Or I thought that you know, I was set up to achieve something in life. Um, so I was always going out. I think, I've been trying to pursue this idea of success for a long time. And I was doing it through that traditional model of get a great qualification, get a good job, earn good money and that respect. Um, did really well at that. Um, I went to university and studied media production. Um, did really well at that. I applied myself so fully. I got a first class degree, um, best resort in the year. Went out from that and became self-employed in filmmaking. Um at that time i think i i pursued that success so like so fully that i neglected everything else around me basically so neglected that all my friends moved away i was living up in newcastle and i'd had this amazing life actually like i lived with people that It was like, I can compare it to those episodes of Friends, you know, when it's the guys hanging out and the girls are there. And it was just like, we all got along. It was just every day was exciting and full. And they all moved away after uni. But I stayed up there because I could find good work. Um, My family lived like three hours away um, back home where I grew up. And I gave up the other stuff that I enjoyed as well. So I gave up cycling um, because I started to look at, you know, that path to success and why would you spend hours doing stuff for yourself that wasn't pushing you further and further along that path to success so i was probably in that situation for a year and gradually things started to unravel um it kind of came to a head. So I would work longer and longer. I'd work into the night. I'd be editing stuff. I'd be starting to struggle. Like, if I didn't have the answers to things, you know, I was fresh out of university. I wasn't an expert at anything. And I would take a lot of pressure on myself. I'd be putting together something, I don't know, a piece of, say, I was working in a school, a piece of kids' animation that needed editing for a show the next day. I'd run into a problem, it wouldn't render properly. And so I'd try it again and wait an hour for it to render. This is back when technology was like clockwork and it would take a long time. And then it would just come out with a, an error message at the end. I'd, it'd be the middle of the night and I'd be stressing and your heart's racing. You're like, what am I going to do about this? And I'd turn up the next day, absolutely exhausted, without a product, worrying about letting people down, what are people are going to think of me. Didn't feel like I had anyone to turn to for support. Um, and it all kind of came to a head on this... Um, one event where a, a local cinema that I worked at, um, the, the lecturer who normally delivered uh, a session about animation was sick, and they called me, and they are like, Lee, can you just come in and do this for us? Um, so I was like... It, it, at that time, like motivational speaking, standing up in front of people, public speaking was not a thing. I did not enjoy it. I was anxious and sweaty and nervous and this was somebody else's script as well so i'd be going up there delivering something else but i was like yeah okay i could i felt like i couldn't let them down so i went up on stage and there was probably a hundred secondary school kids in this little cinema and i started talking to them about the wonders of animation and it's magical they're not actually moving images it's just a sequence of still images that tricks your eye and like giving away all the secrets of it really in the behind the scenes of the magic and there was nothing, like no response. And they talked amongst themselves, and I carried on. and You start that questioning in the back of your head, like, what, what am I doing wrong? Why aren't they reacting? Why isn't anyone putting their hand up when i got questioned? question? Until it, it just came to a head, and I snapped, like, on stage in this little theatre. threw the script down on the stage. I was like, what is even the point of me being here? Aren't you any of you listening? Don't you care? Like, what, why am I bothering? And there was just this silence. Like, it just cut across the room. And afterwards, they all left, and just the manager of the cinema was standing at the back, and I was like, oh, no. Um, and they were they were like, hey, look, you know, we'll relieve you of this pressure. I didn't end up working there again. And there was just things like that gradually. It was just unfolding all at the same time until the point where I remember looking out. I lived in this, um, like, Converted attic room in a house with a bunch of people that I didn't know really, and I remember looking out over the skyline of Newcastle where I lived. And I was just like just thinking there is a world out there of people who live these amazing, fulfilled lives. Everyone's enjoying their lives, going out, doing the things that they love, surrounded by people that they love. And I'm just here alone, and the harder I work, the worse it gets for me. And if this is the whole purpose of life, what is the point in carrying on? Um, and at that point. I guess things changed. I realised that I needed help. I went to see a GP. They referred me to a counsellor. And, and to be honest, that was never on my agenda. Like, I'm, I'm really happy to talk about it now because I really think that this is the stuff that changes people's lives when you can connect and people understand that we all have these problems. And I, there's still a lot of stigma around mental health, um, but it's not as bad as it used to be. Certainly not. That was like 2008. 2006, maybe. Um, at that time, yeah, it was, I thought that if you went to see a counsellor, there was something serious, like you had a severe mental illness, there's something wrong, you're crazy. Um, and so I would never have talked about it. But I went to see them, and it was actually really relieving. It was just nice to sit in a room, you know, I thought it'd be a doctor with a white lab coat and a clipboard, and you'd lay down on that leather couch and they'd analyze you and you'd be put on meds or something. But it was just a chat with, uh, a counsellor and we just went through stuff and it was quite nice to just offload what I was going through like to not hold it in on my own um I would say that at that time um I didn't put the effort in that I should have done so I would have been in my mid-20s and definitely in my mindset I thought that the world was black and white like you admit that you've got a a problem or there is a challenge in life and there's a solution and it's just a matter of applying the solution and then you get through it and everything's right um same as like I don't know mechanics engineering that sort of thing um so I'd never d- bothered to do the homework I was like okay I'm going to see the cancer everything's right it must be sorted now and the they'd give me homework every week whether it was looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs like you've got this this level of basic human needs that everybody needs and then you go up through five or seven layers until at the top is self-actualization and you know I was focused so hard on that top of the pyramid the self-actualization that I never covered the bottom ones just basic you've got necessities of shelter and house and water but then you've got relationships and respect and your emotional needs that I wasn't taking off um we talked about loads of different things family script the way that the way your relationship is with your parents, and their relationship with their parents, and that gets passed down. And there's subconscious like ways that you learn things. The modeling. Never bothered to look into that. Um, and it was only it was after about four or five months of counselling that I just had this opportunity. Going all the way back to your original question, where does it come from? So I went through this massive struggle, and it came to an opportunity basically. And that opportunity was um, to ride a motorbike. Uh, for a month across Iceland with two of the guys that I was working with at one of the city learning centres. And they would come into work every day um, and talk about these amazing adventures they'd been on, whether it was riding a mountain bike through like the, the... wilderness of Norway or wild fishing up in the isolated areas of Scotland and this idea of freedom was just amazing and I thought you had to be born an adventure you had to like have some kind of qualification how does somebody become that person who can do that and they were like let's just go and do it do you want to come cool and so we spent a couple of months like sitting around one of the guys mum's kitchen table plotting out maps and, and this is how grassroots it was actually um we didn't have the money to buy the expensive brackets to put bags and stuff on the back of our motorbikes so one day we went round to Chris's house and I don't know how he got his hands on all these office chairs but <laughs> the the garage was just full of office chairs and we got a um an angle grinder and just ground them down and he had a welder and we welded our own like brackets to put on the bikes so after all this like, yeah, really rudimental work, we went off. We we got rode up to, I think it was Aberdeen, got on a, a ferry for two nights over to Iceland, and from that point for a month just went into like the absolute wilderness. Places where you can only get to if you've got an off-road motorbike or these specialized like four by four trucks. And we were out there like going across volcanic deserts and walking across glaciers and climbing volcanoes and swimming in hot water, watching that bubbling mud coming up from the ground, camping under the midnight sun. It was just mad, like a world that I'd never known. And that was a catalyst for changing my life.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Well, you know what I'm going to ask next? So, you know, you come back from that, you've experienced this thing, you've been through kind of profound trauma in your own way. How do you suddenly make the decision to not just go and cycle, you know, for a month, but to go for seven years? And did you mean to go for that long, or did you just set
0: off? Um, It it didn't come immediately. Like, the big question that everyone's got is, how did you afford it, to ride a bike around the world for seven years? And, like, it was dead cheap. Like, the, round the world costs, around the world for seven years, cost less than a, a world record for two weeks. <laughs> so yeah, to put it in perspective. But I wouldn't have would just jumped straight in either. I think that the Iceland trip was a test. It it was a catalyst. It changed everything, my perception. And actually within six weeks of coming back from that, I'd sold my car, sold my motorbike, given up the job, given up the house. Um, but I just started to travel because it was the travel aspect that I got a grip of. Like, being in Iceland, you know what I think it was, actually? I, so I went to Iceland with two Geordies and nobody understood a word they were saying. <laughs> and um, and I just spoke in Derby English and people got it. And I think an element of me was like, oh, I'm out for travel. Like, people get me and I can see it. Like, I can travel around the world. Um, so so i decided to um to become a snowboarder actually i was going to be a snow bum and travel around the world chasing the season um so i went to new zealand for a year on a working holiday visa and um actually within like a month of learning to snowboard i fell off like in a big accident and broke my collarbone so that was the end of the season but loved it. Like, I was working in bars and I was meeting cool people and doing so much fun stuff. You know, it was the continuation of that vibrant life that I'd seen in Iceland, the adventure. Um, And so I just continued doing that and, like, bartending in different countries. I lived in um, Canada for a year as well, also intentionally to, like, look for that ski season, but it didn't happen there either. Um, And it was only kind of as... That experience built, and I started to realize that oh, you know, it's not it's not a crazy thing to be able to do. It's not something that you need some kind of qualification in or something. Like you can just go out there and try it. That I started to find my own feet in it. And so yeah, I love the travel, but also start to remember that cycling that I loved as a kid. And like before I went to university, I used to race mountain bikes at an amateur level. And I was like, oh, you know what? I could do something like that you um, and McGregor and Charlie Borman around the world on a motorbike, but maybe my thing's the bike, um, and that's where it kind of came together. Was it being done? I, I'm pretty hazy on my timings, but you know,
1: obviously, Alistair Humphreys did his big ride and things like that. Where was the inspiration? Were
0: other people doing it? Yeah, there was. Um, it would have been around the same time that Mark Beaumont did his first round the world. Um, record and that was a massive inspiration for me but then I thought you know I loved that travel aspect to be a record breaker was not on my radar at all at that point I was like it's just a really nice way to see the world like I don't need to rush around it I could take my time over it and going back to a question you had earlier was it always meant to be seven years? no not at all like who plans a seven year journey? (laughs) but um, it was meant to be two to three years, and then a part of it was um, just changes, lack of funds to be able to get around, but then also realising that I loved it, that it could become something bigger. I had an original plan of a route. It would go down to Australia and then back up through the Americas to New York and fly home. But then when I got to Australia, I'd run out of money. I thought you know, I'd work there for a bit. Um, I think one of the nice things about having to work was the fact that it gave me this kind of punctuation to be able to revisit the values and, and the reasons for what I was doing. And even though I had a great job, I was managing a bar out there, a great set of friends, I still had this like wanderlust. I wanted to go out and I was buying maps of the, the middle of the desert in Australia. I was like, there's stuff out there I've got to go and see. And so I, I left it all again and went out and saw that and then sailed across the South Pacific and like went to some incredible places, ran out of money again, got to Taiwan, taught English for a while. And again, like looked at what I was doing and what I wanted to do. I was lo- starting to learn a bit of Chinese at that point. So I was like, I can go to China now and learn more about there. Um, and this journey that sort of originally had a route just started to unfold in the pursuit of what I wanted in the time, like, in many ways, it was kind of a pursuit of happiness—super cliche. Um, but if I was getting cold and wet, I could go to somebody, somewhere that was a bit warmer and drier. Or if I was lonely, I could go to a place with people, or vice versa. Like go and push myself and my limits out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and it was only probably after about six years when I was getting through the Americas, I was getting towards South America, um, and I was meeting people who had heard about what I was doing, and you'd have conversations around, you know, where you go next, what you're doing. You know, if you go down to Tierra del Fuego, right in the bottom of uh, South America, and then up through Africa, it could be the longest bike journey ever in the world. Like, it would be incredible. And I was starting to question whether that was actually what I wanted. Like, is that where I was going going to find what I was looking for? Like, at that point, I started looking for more connections like a sense of belonging communities i was spending more time stopping to do things with people and i started to question whether you know actually am i going to find what i'm looking for on the bike and so that's when i turned around and you know you can have amazing dreams but actually you know a solid solitary life on a bike i don't think it ticks all the boxes it's it's a little bit like i met somebody once i can't remember who it was they described um sort of the meaning of life and they are explaining. if you learn how to play guitar really well like would it be fulfilling to sit in a room on your own and play it you know wouldn't you want to be using it for something sharing it with people you've got to share that music with people to appreciate and to enjoy with you or to teach somebody else how to do that as well and I think definitely an element of that hit me at the end of that journey
1: yeah I mean you've segued me perfectly where I was going to go with this because I mean, just throughout what you've just been saying, I'm sat here with the itchiest feet anyone has given me in a really long time. And I think part of that for me personally is, as I've told you, I've got two young kids and my longer trips are very limited to to work at the moment. And the idea of just setting out with no return date is so romantic. But actually, I don't think I do very well on my own. And, you know, you were saying, you were talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and how the ones you mentioned were obviously at the bottom view and the top one, but you mentioned specifically relationships as one of those middle ones that you were lacking. A solitary journey is not the way to build them. And I'm just, given that you said you'd had therapy, but hadn't maybe engaged as well as you could, where was your head at over
0: those seven years and how were you really? Um I wish I had a deep answer to it actually but life was brilliant <laughs> and you know just reflecting on that and it is something that I thought of before I think that I really focused on those really el- elementary like base level needs of every day on the bike all you need to do is wake up basically with the sunrise it's quite animal like wake up the sunrise you pack all your gear up, you have your breakfast, and all you've got to do in that day is find some food, find some water, and keep heading east. It's such a basic life. And then at the end of the day, you find a nice place. Normally, for me, I like to find a bit of grass next to a river where you can have a bit of a wash and find water and where the sunrise is going to hit the tent and dry it in the morning. So you're just looking after those really like elementary, base-level needs. Um, and every day I would meet people... So, and it was a really nice thing in a way. And it, a lot of people have asked me whether I was trying to escape from stuff. You know, are you were just escaping that troubled life. And I, f- throughout all of it, I'd be like, no, no. I had these really clever answers from books that I'd read before about, oh, you know, what I'm doing here is um, my exchange rate is way better than yours because my exchange rate of time on the bike for the experience that, that I get is better than your time in an office for the money you get in the bank always had a smart answer um, but there is no doubt like looking back from it's now six years since I came back no doubt I was running away like it's a it's a, a key part of the book actually which is based on the next challenge the, um, the first world record um, I'd kind of had for my life I'd had this troubled mind but I'd escaped from it with the, these strong legs and And I think like around the world was amazing. I kind of separate sort of chapters in my life. And that first bit going around the world was very much about seeing the world external to me. I was constantly like looking for the next thing. It's almost where do you fit in the world? The next country, where are you going next? What are you going to see? And you're constantly absorbing stuff. But then I came back and realized that I hadn't looked inside. Like all of these things that I'd run away from was still there. I thought I was going to come back from cycling around the world and I would have changed and the world would still be the same. But it was almost the exact opposite. Like the world had changed. I came back to a, an England that was quite different. Um, but when I was confronted with those same challenges, responsibilities, relationships, pressure, finances, I'm overwhelmed, I'm anxious, I'm stressing about stuff, I'm digging myself back into the same holes that I would have done seven years before. And so the, set, the the second project, the world record, really made me dig deeper into that.
1: <sighs> it's so interesting. I, you know, you talk about um, smart, the smart answers you got from books you read before. Well, my little cliche is, you know, what, what were you running away from? Because you absolutely tell me that I'm wrong here, but it sounds like you were running away from you, which is really difficult to get away from. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
0: that's <laughs> you see, the thing is, like, there's only like art, the world that you perceive. That's all there is in the world, right? So, no matter where you are, you're there with it. Um, the beautiful thing was when, when it was ever changing. Like, you're gonna come up against those same obstacles, people you disagree with, or situations where you run out of money. You've got to come, come find some more. You know, the same situations in the world, except the bike could kind of navigate its way around these roadblocks quite easily you're very fluid you don't really know and there's nothing to give up because you've never committed to anything you just keep on going through but in not having something that you committed to it's a bit of a loss as well um but when you I guess it's when you have to sit with yourself and you understand your place in the world and you're not constantly learning you're not constantly sort of seeing changes you've got to sit and understand it and come to terms with it I think that's yeah that's the The troubled part for me Um, and I guess that maybe after six years it caught up with me I wasn't consciously like fighting myself out there I was I was actually still quite um I wasn't as self-aware like I wouldn't have been able to have these conversations the people that I met going around the world were amazing and you do get to open up quite a lot I think a lot of people do realize that they're running away or they're trying to look for something and and in that you constantly get bounced around these different kind of philosophies and different ideas and different ways that people see the world. But it was, yeah, only coming back that I really started to sit with it.
1: Yeah. And I think one thing I'm cautious of, and again, I'll say it for the last time, but disagree if you do, you know, I like disagreeing agreeably as some other clever people put it, but I'm really conscious of not just saying, oh, people who do things like that are probably running away from something. Cause sometimes, you know, I think that nomadic adventurous life that some people choose to live I'm not sure that it's great permanently, but it gives people so much. And, you know, it's a joy to hear you say, no, actually life was amazing because I didn't know what you were going to say. I suspected you might say, actually, it was really hard and I was really lonely, but to hear you weren't was great. And again, as you were talking about it, I was just thinking it's one of the most beautiful accounts of a long journey I've ever heard because I have lots of respect for, you know, and you're one of these people, actually, people who break records and go fast and do things. But I'm fascinated much more deeply by that slow travel and the idea that you just run out of money in Australia. So you stop and work for a bit until you've got enough. And then you just go out into the map that you found and then just crack on again. You know that it just, it feels to me like that was as pure a journey of self as is possible to find.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, definitely. Um, It's something that you, I don't know whether you really get it in the moment. There were definitely moments when I'd be sitting outside the tent, like, I don't know, example, rooftop of the world, Tibet, 5,000 meters altitude, clear sky. You feel like you're on a rock, zooming through space. In those moments, you're like, oh, yeah, this is it. Like, this is what I was after. But also, there's a lot of moments when you're just riding a bike, and you don't realize until you come back and you sort of step back from it and reflect you're like you know yeah I think it was really pure it was um so driven by the moments that I was passing through and you'd meet somebody and they'd tell you about some way that you should go and that actually they've got a friend there and they'd love to meet you or you know 16 miles down the road from the moment that you wake up you you meet somebody and it turns into a whole week of weddings or like the spontaneity was beautiful. You don't get that on world records for sure. Everything's planned and it's meticulous. Um I think there's balance though, you know. I really appreciate all the different things that I do. In fact, it's one of the things that I was sort of when I came back from around the world, I was quite certain that I didn't want to do the same kind of thing again because I'd seen adventurers give talks and they'd talk about one adventure that they gave ten years ago, and they were still sort of Living off that one, I was like, no, there's more to do. Like there's more life is so multifaceted, and there's so many different things that you can tap into. And um, the next thing had to be different. I could have done another adventure, but I wanted to step into something a bit different, find something new out. Um and I think that having the opportunity to look outwards, go on those adventures, like it's something that I miss terribly at the moment, actually, you know, because there is that element of escape. You know, life can be so overwhelming and full of pressures and to just go off and have those moments where you wake up in a tent and find out where you end up the next day is beautiful. Um, But also, we can thrive under pressure. There are moments when if you create that, you find out what you're really made of. And I like a bit of both of those. Yeah, that's a fulfilling life.
1: Yeah, I don't know what you think about this, but I used to say, oh, yeah, well, you know, now that I'm back in the real world when I got home from a trip. And now people still say that to me. Oh, well, now you're back in the real world. And it it frustrates me because I think as I'm getting older, I'm starting to realize that, you know, there's these cheesy lines about, you know, I, I contradict myself all the time because I'm complex. I'm a complex creature and I'm, I don't have this like one thing. And I love being a dad. I love growing food. I love living here. I like having a base. I need it for my sanity but I also like going away on long, complex missions. And that is definitely the real world. In some ways, it sometimes feels slightly more real, but I think that's down to the purity and lack of complexity of it because nobody delivers post when I'm halfway up a big wall somewhere and nobody cold calls me from some sales office somewhere. Um, don't really have to worry about money you know, or rent or whatever um and i just again maybe it's a wariness of like that escapism that definition that escapism i'm conscious that like for some people it definitely is and some people need to go on holiday for those escapes or whatever but really can't we just live two lives in parallel
0: yeah well there's so many ways that we escape and you can turn it around to people you know if you um if i choose to drink heavily for a weekend because I'm not really comfortable with the person that I am from Monday to Friday so I get drunk and have a laugh and like escape in that way yeah I don't know do we ask the same question of people who come back from like a a festival for a week or something like that I know you're back in the real world or is it how was that trip man that sounded really cool I don't know it's it is a weird one isn't it the different levels of expectation or what we're allowed to get away with from society's sort of allowances or expectations yeah and i mean you said to me before we press record you know
1: you're currently sat i think you're sat where you work and you work in mental health nine to five which implies a certain level of experience qualification and interest and i'm just (laughs) interested in how you then go from your everything you've told me to date and then your cycle to where you are now and what motivated
0: that and why um so, yeah, how did I end up in this office? Um, it's lived experience again, really. Um, so I've worked in behaviour change for a while. I currently work on a project, yeah, in mental health, which is amazing. It's um, a change that I think the mental health service needs. It's combining the NHS community mental health teams with community organisations who've got grassroots connections with the people in the community. So part of it is about um, preventing people um, developing severe mental illnesses because there's a place in your community where you can turn to. You don't get put on the end of a list where you have to wait for a referral into the team. Um, And there's so many beautiful things about this project. I'm passionate about it because of my lived experience. Um, But it, it also comes from a place of change as well. I've seen... What you can do if, if you've got a goal and you commit yourself to it. So, this all comes from the, um, the first world record, the fastest cycle across Europe. Um, it, it, this was a project where I'd, I'd been around the world, I'd done the adventure cycling, and I was looking for the next challenge. And that challenge, came in the form of an article in a magazine about Sean Conway, who had broken the world record for the cy- fastest cycle across Europe. And I looked at it and I went, well, I could do that. Like, I could get on my bike tomorrow and I could probably break that, like, by an hour, a few hours, maybe a day. And I, I was in the house of a guy who became my mentor for that year, really. Um, he, was, he organized the local bike club, And um, when I came back, it it was a beautiful day, actually. The last day of cycling around the world, um, the charity that I raised money for out there, a children's home um, from Derby, organised a local cycling club to join me for the last 10 miles. And we cycled in, in convoy. It was beautiful. There were champagne corks, were popped, and we all had a drink, and we celebrated. And at the end of it, um, the organisers said, oh, look, here's my number. When things have settled down, come over we'll have a chat. And it just turned out that he had the skills and the experience to help shape where I would take things. And I was getting amazing opportunities. I I could give a TED talk, uh, National Geographic, I was doing articles and magazines, like there was just stuff everywhere. And I'd lived in a tent for seven years. I was like, what do you even, how do you start to unpack this? Um, And he helped. And he was the owner of a a tech company who'd done very well for himself he started to show me the opportunities like these are the things that you can do with your life where just decide where you want to go and i'll help you with it which was very selfless and it, i feel very lucky to have had that opportunity but when i told him about the world record he was like okay well, let's look through the guidelines and it said guinness world records make no differentiation between supported and unsupported records and so he started to ask me some questions you know uh, how do you think you'll get your best result? And I was like, well, yeah, with the team, but I don't need the team because I could break it now. No, forget that. How will you mitigate the risks? Yeah, well, a team would really help, but I don't need... Okay, look, if that's the way that you'll get the best result, then that's the way you're going to do it. And that changed me from looking at what I could do to what I wanted to do, which is a really, like, it's a difficult thing to come to terms with straight away because I could have just paid for a bike and flown out there and done it on my own for about five grand to do it with a support team and team scientists. And a year of preparation, it was more like 50,000 pounds and a lot of hard work, like a year of dedication. Um, But that opened me up to so much. And to to go to the thing that really made a difference, um, I brought together a team of sports science experts across physiotherapy, um, physiology, psychology, nutrition, but of all of them, um, psychology was the most important, and it came down to one sentence that it was actually the physiologist, the guy who was in, in charge of my physical condition. I was talking to him about the things that I needed. I need a cook and I need a coach, and I need this." And he was like, well, "Who's your psychologist?" So I was like, "Ah, don't need that. I'm not going to fall in love out there. What are you talking about?" And he said, "You could be the fastest cyclist in the world on the start line, but it means nothing unless you've got a mind that's strong enough to get you to the finish line." And that changed everything. That mind that I'd been running away from around the world, suddenly I had to confront that. And all the problems that I'd gone through and neglected the homework when I went to counselling when I was younger, that all had to come back. Like You're not just looking at your strengths. You're looking at the challenges you're going to face along the way and putting an intervention in place to get through them, which is tough. Like You've got to dig to those real deep, dark places that you've been avoiding. You've got to admit that you've got problems. That's the first... you can go through life and think that you're perfect and get away with it. And I don't know, you'll limit yourself, or look inside. Um, and and find out like what's actually in there, and what you've got to change, and how you get the a better version of yourself, or well, maybe not a better version of yourself, but more towards the goal that you've set for yourself. So that started. Yeah, the best part of a year with a whole team of scientists, but the biggest, the most, yeah the biggest revelations were with the psychologist
1: and had you i promise i won't just keep asking this question <clears throat> or variants thereof but had you had therapy post seven years and pre record-breaking challenge
0: no no i hadn't we this came really quickly after going around the world so um went to a council i don't even know what what her role would have been she was based from a, a gp um might have been a mental health nurse probably um so i spent four months four four or five months with her didn't really finish it never said that i was going to i was done now and complete and i just up and left and went to new zealand Uh, a couple of years of traveling came back went around the world so now we're talking like 10 years later came back from around the world hadn't really dealt with stuff and i think this is probably a bit of a a problem that people have engaging with mental health services, actually, if you don't have a goal, it almost seems pointless or you, you're you hesitant to engage because why? Like, you give me a lot of work, but why? When I came to this project, I had a goal. Like, I was going to break a world record. And you get to a point of kind of such commitment such focus on it that you will do anything like the training sessions physically are tough but you push through them and if you want to overcome stuff on the road you'll go through this and it meant revisiting um all the reasons why i went around the world what was i dealing with at the time was i kind of in control what did i do in situations where i was at my at, at the real hardest times when i hit rock bottom what's the decision that i make and this all comes into your motivations for life. Like, what's your why to do anything was one of the big things that I did with the psychologist. And the the first why that came up was to break the record. Of course, it's not good enough. Okay, well, the respect of people around you, still not really good enough, Lee. you got to dig a bit deeper. Here, and the psychologist started to describe to me what it, a day on the road might be like after... Imagine you've been on a bike for two weeks. You wake up in the back of a motorhome and... It, you're already exhausted. You don't want to get out of bed, but you've got to. And you pull yourself into that lycra that you've been wearing every day already. You stumble through to the kitchen of the motorhome and you're already aching. It's hard to walk. And you sit down and your breakfast's there in front of you and it's 2,000 calories. It's a massive bowl. It's all of what you'd eat in a day normally. And you've got to eat as much of that as possible and you're not even hungry. And you look out the window and it's raining and you've got, you can see the motorway and streams of traffic going down it. And you know you've got to sit in the same saddle that you've been on for two weeks. Now, if someone turns around to you and says, well, I'll give you a certificate for that, you know, you're, not gonna, you're telling them to do one, right? Um, and you won't care about the respect of other people because nobody, no one else is going through the same as what you're going through. No one knows the pain. So you've got to find something intrinsic that's going to get you out there. And we went through loads of stuff. And really, those initial motivations were exactly the same as where I'd left off with counselling. You know, the ideas of success being a certificate or financial reward or the respect of people around you. It was the same as coming out of university. And it has to... I had to find something inside myself. And it's who you want to be. Like, when everything's going wrong, when you're up against the ropes, like, what's the decision that you make that defines who you're going to be? And I thought that was so powerful, so... We looked at what I did when everything was going wrong for me, going through counselling. And the decision I made was not to follow everyone else. It was to do what I loved. And it was to take that chance and go travelling. And that was me. Like, that was really true to me. All of that beautiful description of travel, you, you know that I was in it and loving it. Every moment of that was a life lived with passion. And when you can find that inside yourself, like, you've... You know who you are. You've got something to hook onto, and you can keep going. We have some other amazing interventions, actually. Um, There's one that I want to share, actually, on this, because I think it would help so many people. A lot of what I do now is about trying to help other people, you know. I've got my own projects, but I think we were saying it before, you know, when you find something, or that guitar analogy, you know, you've learned how to play the guitar and then you've got to share that music. You've got to teach other people, maybe. So... With this analogy called the view from the balcony. Um, And so the psychologist described to me, you know, the finish line of the world record. The only person that I had to define my finishing time to was myself. Because nobody else would really care. Like, nobody knows what those minutes or days or seconds are, what they mean, it doesn't matter. But you've got to be able to look back and say to yourself that you gave it everything, like to look back with no regrets. So what we did is take that finish line version of myself and put him up on this metaphoric balcony so that at any time when I had a hard time, when I was struggling, I could look up to the future version of myself and ask for advice. And the psychologist asked me, like, in that session, in that moment, he was like, so if you could look down yourself now and it was cold and raining and you were really tired and you wanted to give up, what would you shout to yourself? And I was just like, what? just keep going, don't stop, you know, just keep, the, just pedal and pedal just keep going because when you get to the end, the rain and the cold and the tide, it, all, the, all those negative things just disappear. All you're left with is the actions that you've taken. And I thought that was amazing because you start to realize that you're not against a competitor and you're not against the clock. You're just against like the best version of yourself. And that really is the only race you can be in. I thought that was so powerful. So for me, that isn't about riding a bike, I don't know, across a continent or the greatest distance you can put in or getting around the world. It's about everything that you want to do in life. Just what would the best version of yourself do in this moment? What would they say to you? And just carry on. And so I think to kind of go all the way back to the beginning of what we spoke about today, the the mental health part, when, when I was chasing that idea of success... I thought everybody else had for me I was super unfulfilled it was the most unfulfilled I've been in my life but now to look at an idea of success where you can stand on the finish line of life like that last day and look back I would love to be able to stand on that finish line and say yeah I gave it everything you know yeah no regrets I did so much and that comes down to everything that I do you know we've talked about that idea of going back to the real world it's all real like there's elements life isn't straightforward it's not about no one's going to stand on the finish line and everyone around is going to go, oh, he did, he won that. He was really good because he broke a world record. Like, it's, yeah, you you do a world record, you cycle around the world, you're a great dad, you're that friend that made me laugh and that time when I was down, like, it's giving everything to every moment and it doesn't matter how it appears to society or what it means to people. It's it's just giving it 100% all the time, like, that's super important so the view from the balcony that's what if anyone takes anything away from this podcast today that's the one that i want to stick
1: it's great and i think it's you know i mean having had as i've told you and as i've spoken about a little bit on this podcast before, having had a long run of my own therapy counseling um it's just a different way of framing something that i do all the time Mm -hmm. looking at you know i used to really want to win festival awards i used to really want them the films like they you know i'm going to win the grand prize at kendall mountain festival that was like a key motivator and then um, i've never won that one but i've been lucky you know i've been fortunate i've worked hard and we've won a lot of awards for our films and they just don't matter to me mm. and i don't mean that in a negative way you know it's great and it's nice to have people say well done we thought yours was the best film this year but really when i reflect on those projects it's the journey of creating this is super cheesy but it's the journey of creating those films both in these amazing places around the world but then also in the edit you know reviewing it with people talking about it having eureka moments amongst the self-loathing and it's that cliche of like the finish line is often massively anticlimactic in almost everything we do whether it's a summit or a motorhome or i don't know it might be a job that you've always wanted like you get it and then you've got it and That's that. And yeah, you know, have a fun couple of days celebrating, but then you go, well, what next? Yeah. I think, I don't know if it's just age or experience, but I think lots of people I've spoken to who seem content, genuinely content with who they are and what they do, they recognize that it's always the intrinsic motivators, always.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. It's, yeah. Just to expand a little bit on that journey part, it's, it's the, uh, like those experiences that you get along the way and the places you get to go. Like, oh actually it's those little things that you realize you're capable of doing along the way as well. They're really cool. And sharing it with the people that you meet, like how often like if you don't take anything on, you don't meet a new bunch of people and realize that you get to do this stuff and bounce those ideas, it's just amazing. Like the opportunities that it buys you. But yeah, is it a recent
1: revelation for you, do you think? within the last three or four years I mean I'm 34 and I had therapy when I was 29 yeah
0: yeah it's an interesting for me I think a lot changed around 40 I did an interesting interview around 40 and sort of it's like you realize that life's not infinite anymore that was a weird one for me um, sorry if you tuned into this, i uh, expecting an adventure podcast. Today. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> what we've done here is the person who's being interviewed has turned into the interviewer, and we're talking about psychology. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, around 40. So, and this, this ties into the last world record, um, seven days. COVID had happened. Everything had changed. Like, the living that I used to make out of speaking events, that whole industry got flattened end up you know getting job and behavior change then mental health um i around my 40th friends around me a few people around me had got cancer that year It didn't seem like the year to be celebrated i didn't put on a party or anything we'd all had covid it was just one of those times um sorry i escaped that's my classic um coping mechanism <laughs> I went to um, Barcelona to cycle with a friend of mine out there, and it was wicked. Like to be up in the foothills of the Himalayas, cycling with some of the elite cyclists around there, I hadn't really been training that hard, and I was holding my own. I was like, actually, I'm pretty good at this. Like, it sort of went through my mind. I was like, I should be doing more. I've not done anything, anything with cycling for a few years now. This was um, 21, I think. So the world record was the first record was in 2018 um, and I was like yeah got to do something with this came back to England one of the first calls that I had was from my uncle and he said oh your auntie's been diagnosed with terminal cancer given about a year to live and that was that moment when you're like oh, "Shit!" shit I've not really spent that much time with them I should be doing more and also I've got got this talent I need to do something with my life like you never know when your moment's going to come as well um so took on that record a lot of the work that we did in that one was about gratitude it was about enjoying the journey um and that's really when I started to learn about um the difference between that original mindset of there's the problem this is the solution off you go it's not psychology is not black and white there's a lot of gray area there's a lot of working around how this is going to work for you and for me to do this gratitude diary in the first place i was like this is a stupid idea why are we doing this writing down things from yesterday that i thought were nice um but that was the premise every morning first thing you do in the day write down three things you're grateful for from yesterday you can't repeat so you start delving into deeper than oh, i was really grateful for my parents oh, i'm really lucky to have this roof over my head you have to find smaller things like oh just that moment when I was sitting at my desk and the birds were tweeting outside yeah that was a great moment like you get into the real nitty-gritty the details um and I it took a couple of months but after a little while I started to see the notice the way that I saw the world had changed just gradually like a little bit every day and it's by creating habits if you can create these small habits that they can change you like hugely. So I guess it's that whole metaphor of like the river running through the valley and eventually it creates the Grand Canyon. Like those small changes completely change your mindset. Um, We did another one at the end of every day. I was going to bed and I did this progressive muscle relaxation where you tense muscle groups in your body and release them and feel that relaxation. And you do it through every muscle group in your body. And then you feel absolutely, like, so tranquil, so zen. And the last thing that um, the psychologist got me to do before I fell asleep was to think of a really challenging moment that you were going to face out on the road. You know, do some Google Street View of the road you're going to be cycling on and think of the hardest time out there. And then just smile. And after a few months, I remember standing, it must have been winter the days were short I was standing at the sink doing the washing up and because it was dark outside I could see my reflection in the window as I looked up and I looked so miserable like so angry or whatever it was and I just thought smile and I, I would never have had that thought come to my head if we hadn't done it it just subliminally become a part of me and it just I just cracked up like doing this washing up and it's those little things that changed me um anyway yeah i built the team in a different way that time put them together at the beginning so that we built these beautiful relationships um kind of building on the passion of each other you know in the first record i brought them together at the end of the preparation and we went out on the road together this time they were together from the beginning and when you bring people together you start to realize their passion bouncing off of each other like the passion that you've brought somebody into the project for bounces off of them as well and they develop new ideas they would never have done before and um, it became something really exciting um, the weekend before we went out to Florida, got a phone call from my uncle oh yeah yeah your aunt it 's your auntie 's funeral like a couple of days before you go out um, and it 's that yeah, the realization that life 's not fine out it 's not about. Chasing the certificates, it's about those relationships, about creating stuff, it's about appreciating every day. Like that was a massive learning curve for me. I think there's still some more work to do on it. But what I realized out on the record, like as a consequence of all that, I don't know, I've not mentioned that days three, four, and five, every moment was affected by Hurricane Nicole that came through. So we're cycling through that. The team's got to adapt. Like everything was about, you know, you can have all the best tech, best psychology, the best science all in the world, all together, but actually. In those really critical moments, it's the human aspects of life, those human elements that come together, those friendships, those bonds that you've created. Going that extra mile, not because you're going to get a certificate, not because you're going to get paid for it, but because you're all passionate about it. You know, you bring somebody into a project with an email, they're just going to do a Friday afternoon job. You go and talk to them about where it's come from and why you're doing that and how it's affected you and the people who've become part of it. And suddenly people are bought in, they're doing everything. Like it became something incredible. Yeah. (laughs) You should write a book about all this. (laughs) Well, it's funny you might mention.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I haven't been asked to plug it. Um, No, it's fascinating. I think, you know, I, I wrote down what you said earlier, you know, strong legs, troubled mind. I just, I'm fascinated by, you know, how successful you are When you look at your, you know, I don't know, I didn't look at a Wikipedia page, but your CV. But, you know, and it's clear that you're an amazing athlete, but I'm fascinated by this sense of the troubled mind. And maybe it's just because, you know, we're fascinated by the things that are closest to us, right? And I certainly, certainly probably fall into that camp in my own way. Do you have. Are you good at positive self talk and have you always been, or is that learnt behaviour or are you still not?
0: No, this is all learnt behaviour. Um, I used to be like one of those victims of the world. The world is all at fault. I'm right. And why isn't anything going my way? Like it must be somebody else's fault. What? Yeah. Um, it took. A massive I would say that the change started absolutely absolutely with counseling, like hands down, I think that everybody should just get the chance to do that, just to start to see things from a different point of view um, and realize that you can change and that one of the things that only came much later than that was the realization I like to read books about this sort of stuff as well that there was a realization that in any situation there's kind of two reactions that you've got. You've got a reaction, which is that pragmatic solution focused, like just what's the problem and what's the solution? And then you've got your emotion like reaction. And I was always based in the emotion, like just getting carried away in the way that that situation had made me feel instead of taking, just stepping away from that, just let's put that to one side for a minute and look at what's going on and what can we do about it. And when you start doing that, you can start to see things in a different way like things have got.
1: that's massive i it's one of the biggest ones for me and i think my wife would like laugh if she could hear us talking about this because i'm like i'm a firecracker and I've, i've i'm significantly less so than i used to be and i'm always happy to apologize you know usually pretty quickly afterwards but it's just that emotion grabs hold and that's that and it controls everything But actually, I mean, I, again, it gets cheesy, but I read some of the, I read um, meditations, Marcus Aurelius, he's like reading the Stoics and just that whole idea of only control what you can control and everything that you feel is a reaction and you can reframe that. And I think some people who are listening to this might disagree with that. And I think this whole line of, you know, don't invalidate the emotion, I get that. And maybe lots of people find power in that. But I actually very regularly consciously invalidate my own emotions because I'm not very good at reacting in the moment. You know, if there's a crisis or a problem, I go into logistics mode and that's usually pretty good. But when it's something that actually has like hurt me or scared me or something that I've never accepted is an emotion I have before because the only emotion I ever knew was anger because I was raised in a certain way. Same, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and suddenly now I find, I mean, the other day I spiked at my wife because something happened and with hindsight I was like, oh, I just felt a bit scared and lonely and uh, wounded and vulnerable and I
0: didn't like it. Yeah, and yeah, I- that's so powerful. I'm so like, yes, we have been on the same journey. Like some, I think in... growing up some areas of your emotional maybe um, awareness vocabulary can get kind of quashed a little bit they don't have the space to grow and all you can do in when you react to that emotion is to have an angry outburst or maybe in a behavior you'll behave in a way that makes people feel bad because you that's your only way of communicating this is how i'm feeling and so i'm gonna make you feel that way and it's not conscious like it's so big i'm so proud of you to say oh yeah actually i was just feeling really scared in that moment i didn't really know how to communicate it it's something undoubtedly i feel the same like there's you' i will always be a work in progress i'll never be perfect but having the awareness to step back from that and say yeah this is this is actually what was going on there and i apologize and i'm working on that yeah, and it's this strange, like, horrendous barrier. And I
1: think, and I am I am a man, I'm, I only know it from my shoes, but I think it's particularly amongst men in Britain, this whole idea of, you know, the way we were raised, big boys don't cry, et cetera, et cetera. I've talked about this a bit on this podcast before, but we, there's this massive barrier, and it, it happens at home life, it happens on expeditions, it happens while we're away, where actually we keep a lot of, to ourselves or we need to create this image this facade this armor of strong brave man but actually I've found that showing moments of vulnerability whether it's at home with my wife whether it's on expedition and saying I am scared of this thing that we are about to do and somebody goes oh well, why and you know well this 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 and this and then suddenly they talk to you and you start to unpack it and you start to look at it and you can go huh I'm still scared of it or nervous of it, particularly if there's an actual threat, like jumearing up a, or climbing up a mountain. But suddenly you've got an ally. Mm. And suddenly you've got somebody who understands exactly how you're feeling. And half the time they turn around and go, yeah, I'm pretty frightened as well. You go, all right, well, should we crack on together? <laughs> you know, and it just, I haven't explained that particularly well, but this whole idea of like male vulnerability, it's just not there. It, it, mm. We we still see it as weakness. Whereas actually, I've just done this trip to Iceland again. That I've rambled about it a lot on this podcast. I'll do it briefly. But three guys with spinal cord injuries skied across the largest ice cap in Western Europe, and all of them were vulnerable. Two of them were regularly in tears, and I've never met men who are as brave as those men. And I do genuinely feel like that.
0: Yeah, I think um, I think it's really important. You know, when you feel an emotion bubbling up as well that's something that you need to work on like there's something really interesting in leaning into it like okay what's actually going on here what what's happened here that I'm I mean if it's a mountain or you're climbing up a volcano it could erupt there's an element of fear that you should have there that's natural and don't get rid of that but in like a social situation or in a relationship there's something going on that you yeah we need to work on but also that whole idea of vulnerability I would say that's what the bike was the key to around the world. It's the vulnerability. I mean, it's a great metaphor for just opening up in general life. I think riding a bike into somebody's world where they've seen you from the horizon, they're working in their field. If it's sunny, you're getting burned. If it's raining, you're getting soaked. If somebody's out there, they could attack you. When someone sees you on a bike and they see your vulnerability, they open up. They share theirs with you. They welcome you into their home. And you end up suddenly their best friend and being shown around all their mates and. That's so powerful. It's the same in conversations that I have nowadays where if you share your story, somebody's going to open up and go, actually, you know what? I've I've been feeling the same but never really known how to communicate that. Yeah, yeah, I I get it. Um, Vulnerability is a massive, it's a tool, it's a key, but it's also sort of essential. Like it helps us to resolve our own problems and to help others as well. Really important. yeah.
1: I I, just, I get the sense we could do another couple of hours on this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm saving up. I've got some stories. I was like, oh, I wonder if we've got time to just share that one yeah, or this yeah. one. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean,
1: I say this probably one in five times, but um, I think we should genuinely do another one another day and go into the detail on more of the adventurous elements of the journeys. But um, we're at an hour right now, and um, I think we probably will draw it to a close. And uh, if you're happy to do another one one day, that would be lovely. Um, but I tend to ask people the same two questions at the end of every episode. Oh, okay, right. I should have done my homework. The first is very, you know, interesting given what we've just been discussing for the last 10 minutes, but um, what scares you?
0: This is going to be... Maybe the first time that I've been honest. It's something I've been thinking about recently because it's that idea of leaning into something. Um... I'm the strange one that's not afraid to like give up everything and go off on a bike tour for years and or climb a mountain or step on thin ice when you need to get water, like that stuff I'll do. But actually, um, I think it's creating a close group of friends. It's something to unpack in another podcast, but that's something that I've kind of avoided or putting on a party. Or be in that centre, like when you invite people over to your house. Because maybe it's like the most truly, like, it's the intimate view of you. It's not the professional view, it's not the adventurous view, it's you. It's the way that you conduct yourself in a group of friends. Um, probably still an element of being scared, I don't know, imposter syndrome. Scared of who I really am. Maybe I'm going to get found out. I'm not that big, tough guy after all. <laughs> Um, so yeah, like it's another level of vulnerability like on on the personal level, yeah, that's really honest. I've probably not admitted that to myself before, actually well thank you and what brings you hope um what brings me hope is is what I've done already, I think. I was at a wedding a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we were all drunk, and my mate said, it was one of the guys, actually, I hadn't seen him since we'd been to Iceland on that motorbike trip, and he said to me, we were talking about all that grassroots, building our own um, racks for the panniers and that, and he was like, well, when you've done stuff, you can do stuff. And I was like, that's that's your T-shirt getting printed, mate. (laughs) His strap line. But it's true, isn't it? Like When you've done things, you realise that you can do more. And sometimes I sit back and realize, you know, all the mistakes that I've made, the things that have gone wrong, the ways that I've felt, I've got to the age of 41 and I'm still doing stuff. Like, I can can get through things. I'm strong because of the things that I've been through and I know that I'll be able to get through more. I think there's also an element of those kind of chapters of my life that I'm learning about. Going out and seeing the world, seeing my place in it, that was really important. Coming back and looking within, and seeing my place within myself and who I really am, I think that was great. That was a good chapter. And I feel like I'm going into the next one, which is to share it, like to to share what I've done and to hopefully use those lessons and those experiences to help other people on their own journeys as well. And I think that that offers hope for myself, but also for other people too. Nice. We'll leave it there. Thank you very, very much. No, thank you. And thanks for like taking it's a gamble and go down the psychology the mental health route that's really been valuable thank you hey oh, welcome it's more interesting than what pedals you use <laughs> well let me tell you about those pedals
1: <laughs> stop 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 <laughs> thanks for listening for more information head to the adventure podcast at coa.uk If you want to get in touch, then you can email me at matt at terraincognita.studio. And finally, as always, please do leave us an honest review on iTunes.